It's a real pleasure to obviously speak to you guys. I've had the joy of leading you in worship with one of the bands throughout this year. And um, yeah, it's just been a real blessing to, to come on that journey, um, not just with my band, but with, with this whole community and family as well. And it's a, a real joy to be able to speak on this topic of awe today and, and the awe that we experience in worship as well. So I'm going to give a little disclaimer before we start. I, Tom, cannot improve the amount of awe that you experience of God in your own life. I can't do that. There's only one person that can do that, and that is God. And I, you know, I, I can't by myself reveal more of God's awe and uh, more of himself to you in my own strength. I can only do that through the Holy Spirit working through me. And you can only receive that through the Holy Spirit working within you. So I think it's really important that we, we, we spoke about it before, but I think it's great that we pray um, for our hearts and our minds. So if you'd all like to join me in putting your hand on your hearts. And I'll pray. Um, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts. I pray that you would reveal more of you, more of who you are. I pray that we receive that in our hearts today. And if you'd like to join me putting your hands on your heads. Father, I pray that we would receive you in our minds. I pray that we would submit our understanding and our comprehension to your will. To your working through scripture and through our lives today, Lord. Would you reveal and bring fresh revelation to us today. And we commit this time to you. Amen. So let's jump into um, our first scripture, Luke chapter 19, verse 40. If you've got it, Jeff. So, uh, disciples are praising as Jesus enters Jerusalem. And the Pharisees are like, what? can't you just tell them to be quiet for a minute? Um, and Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And there's this amazing thing where it might not be quite literal, but Jesus is saying, if we don't praise, if we don't sing the praises of our God and the rocks, the, the material things of this, of this world will cry out instead. And it's, um, as I said, maybe not quite literal, but it's a privilege that we have, really, when you think about it, that we get to sing the praises of God. We get to say the praises of Lord God Almighty. And creation sings the glory of God anyway, but we get to articulate that with our words and our lives. And that is a real blessing for us to be able to do that. And as we sort of move into this thinking about awe during worship, um, we're just going to start to dive in to how, how truly awesome God is. And I hope you're able to follow me. So if there's a creation singing God's praises, there's also a creator who I'm sure many of you will know. There is a God of the universe who made the heavens and the earth, a God who is all-powerful and above all things, to whom belongs all authority. He is mighty. He is huge, as we say in Wolverhampton. He is a God who formed the mountains and the valleys. 
who makes the sun to shine, keeping us warm, but blesses us with rain so that plants may grow. He is a God who has fine-tuned this universe to be the, have the perfect conditions for us to live today. The physicists in the room might know more than I, but there are like loads of fundamental constants and values that are just tuned to the smallest fractions for this, for this universe to even exist. Some of these include the force of gravity, the force of electricity, magnetism, the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, the velocity of light, particle decay and half-life, the cosmological constant, etc., etc., etc. All of these things are minutely possible by themselves, but they're all working in tandem, which makes the chances of that so far, far less. And... You know, it just shows to us that God is so determined, so driven, so set on creating a universe where you and I can live. And it's, yeah, forgive me if anything I just said is complete gibberish, but the point I'm trying to make is that the chances of this, even this life being possible are minuscule. And we get to share in this universe that God has created for you and for me. There's a God who dedicated the part of his creation that would be you and that would be me. This part of creation that reflects himself and his character. A part of his creation that he can spend time and have relationship with. And this part is you. This part is you, Andrew. It's you, Craig. It's you, Stevie. It's all of you. God created this whole universe to spend time with you. He knows you intricately. He knows everything about you, the the hairs on your head, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, your likes, your dislikes, your strengths and your weaknesses. He knows the things that you care about, the way that you work, the way that you rest. Through him alone, you came into being. And through him alone, you are blessed with family and community. He is the reason that you are alive today, my friends, and he holds the entire universe in balance to give you life. You may think, right, okay, where where do we go from there? What do we do with all that knowledge? Well, my friends, that's not the end of the story. We also serve a God who we have turned our backs on, a God who has a good and a perfect plan for all of our lives. But because of our pride, we have chosen to take our own way. He's a God who is desperate for us to turn back to him. And in this hope, he has spoken and revealed himself to call us back to himself. He, of course, has done this in in many ways through prophets. But the greatest revelation to us of God himself, as you well know, was through Jesus Christ. God was so desperate for you to return to a relationship with him that he humbled himself, the great I am, giving up his only son to live as a human being. Jesus taught us how to live our lives. He taught and demonstrated to us what it means to be in relationship with God. He lived the perfect life, fully God yet fully man, only to be persecuted, tortured, and crucified. Three days and an empty tomb later, 
And Jesus is risen, defeating death and winning a battle that we never could. Granting us a way to be united again with God. Once and for all, hallelujah. A sacrificial act of love surpassed by no other. And God has done this for you. For you. Many of you will know this, but it is so important, brothers and sisters, that we do not forget these things that we do not forget God as our Lord, our creator and sustainer, or Jesus as our teacher and our savior, or the Holy Spirit as a comforter and enabler. With all of these things in mind, our natural response as human beings to God who has done everything for us is worship. Our response as humans is naturally to worship God to say thank you, to display respect and reverence. When we dwell on and truly start to grasp who God is, we are filled with awe. That's how we get filled with awe, dwelling in God's presence and dwelling on who he is. From this place, worship flows naturally in our lives because we begin to attribute everything, everything in this world to him. Second scripture, Jeff, Romans 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's why we sing the song. For from you are all things. To you are all things. Everything is attributed to God. And he deserves the glory. So here comes my first challenge for you. Jeff, if you're able to jump back to the slide. Are you filled with awe when you think of God? Does God fill you with awe? You know, a definition of of awe is the following. An overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration and fear, etc. produced by that which is grand, sublime, extremely powerful, or the like. You know, if this isn't a reality for you, if you don't experience reverence, admiration, and fear of God, then trying to worship him is futile. Trying to worship something that you're not in awe of just doesn't work. As we approach this topic of worship, It's so important for us to firstly, before trying to worship God at all, is to firstly know who he is. So keep that in mind. Keep in mind that we serve a majestic God who fills us with awe, who is worth all of our worship. We're now going to spend a bit of time looking at a couple of words used in the Old Testament and the New Testament that should hopefully help us to gain a better understanding of biblical worship especially when we start to think about how we approach our personal worship. So the first word, if you can, next slide, Jeff, is the Hebrew word, shachar. Can you say that with me? Shachar. Very good. (laughs) This word means to depress, to prostrate, especially in homage to royalty or to God. It means to bow yourself down, to crouch, to fall down flat, to humbly beseech, to do reverence, to make to stoop, and to worship. 
This is the primary word, Hebrew word in the Old Testament that we have for worship. It's translated to worship, to bow, to bow down, to reverence, to fall down, to stoop, and to crouch. And the interesting thing about this word shachar is that it's, it's many times it's translated to worship, but it's also translated to bow down, depending on the context of this passage. For example, we find in Genesis 23 verse 7, Abraham bowed shachar before the Hittites. In this case, the context lets us know that Abraham was physically bowing as a respectful greeting to the Hittites. However, just one chapter before, in Genesis 22 verse 5, Abraham informs his servant that he and Isaac will go up on the mountain and shachar. In this case, the context makes it clear that Abraham intends to worship on the mountain. Since this word is translated into both worship and to bowing down, we can gather from that that there's a real close relationship between those two things, bowing and worshipping. What does this tell us then for us today? It tells us that wrapped up in what we call worship today is the idea of bowing, of making ourselves low, of humbling ourselves before something else. True worship is all about humility. It's about coming before an awesome God and saying that you, God, are in charge and not me. It's about saying that bowing down is the... I'm sorry, I'm not saying that bowing down is the secret to guaranteed pure worship in spirit and in truth. But God made us with physical bodies so that we can do this as an act of humility reminding our minds and our hearts as we've prayed today that we submit our whole lives to God. So I'd encourage you to think about the following questions. Are you coming to God in humility? And the next question, are you willing to kneel or bow as you worship or as you pray? Moving on. The second word I'd like to touch on is the primary Greek word used in the New Testament. We're having a real linguistic session today. This word is called prosgeneo. <laughs> um, it's, it's an amazing word, which really literally means to kiss, not in a romantic sense, but in a, um, you know, when sort of, a king or a, a monarch will, will leave their hand to allow somebody to kiss their finger. It's that sort, of, that sort of kiss. I don't know whether any of you are Lord of the Rings fans, but in, 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 the, in the third one, Pippin is, is in Gondor and he bows down and Denethor, the steward of Gondor, comes up to him and leaves, just dangles his hand in front of him with his, with his ring on his finger. And Pippin's like, Who's this guy? What am I meant to do with that? And it's kind of reluctantly just gives him a little kiss. <laughs> um, but it's, it's that sense of, of reverence, of, um, of submitting to someone in front of you, someone with power, with authority. It's also associated again with bowing down and lying prostrate on the ground with the notion of kissing the ground before someone. The idea is to show and display profound reverence and submission. So, 
with this word in mind as well, we see that worship is also about servanthood. It's about understanding that we have a master and that all we have comes from him. And the question is, are you coming to God as his servant? Are you approaching your worship of God in servanthood? Worship, of course, is so much more than singing. It's bringing our whole lives before God. You know, every step that we take in our lives is an act of worship. Whether we're worshipping God or whether we're worshipping something else. Every step is an act of worship and reverence to something. It's so key to remember that this biblical posture of worship, as we engage with it today is so key to, to, to the way that we live our lives in a world where so many other things can become the objects of our worship. Work, money, relationships, dare I say it, children, holidays, sport. All of these things are good things. But what does that verse in Romans say? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God is going to receive the glory forever. We need to remind ourselves who God is and approach him with humility and servanthood in our worship. We obviously love our song worship here. Um, and... Just a bit of sort of personal sort of experience in my life of, of my own worship in this, in this church and this family. You know, when we have our worship nights on Sunday evenings, many times, especially when I'm doing it with you guys, we, the, the three of us come and we're just so tired <laughs> on a Sunday night. And we're just, you know, we're coming to worship and we've had a, an hour's practice before. We've had church in the morning and we're just pretty, pretty worn out. Um, and it's remarkable just how, you know, when, when we're worshipping in our weakness, God does the rest. It's, it, that has happened time and time again. Every single time that I come to worship night and either I lead or I play or I just come and worship myself, God works through my weakness more than I could ever imagine and it's, it's profound and, I, you know, I think it's really key, these parts of our, our sort of life as a church family, to, to do these things together and to worship and come before God together and experience him working through our weakness. So I think to, to wrap things up really, it would be really great for us to pray for one another. You know, as I said at the start of this talk, Worshipping God and experience the awe of, of God is, is not something that I can personally do in your lives, but it's something only the Holy Spirit can do. So I'd encourage you, have a little look around you, maybe grab someone, um, twos, threes, fours, whatever works best. Um, and I think it'd be really, really good for us to pray for one another to experience more of the awe, more of the character, the identity of God. And 
for that to shape and form the way that we worship together as a family. So go ahead, find people around you, and let's pray as a church family together.